Welcome back to the podcast, folks. We are joined today by Alex from the Water Partnership, formerly the Water Forum yep. in the Bitterroot Valley. And yeah, I'll let you take it away. Why don't you introduce yourself and tell the people kind of what your role is there? Sure. So, yep, my name is Alex Oconius, and I work uh, in the conservation engagement arm of the Bitterroot Water Partnership. I've been there for two years, going on three um, but yeah, my main role is to help people find or create ways to get involved actively with conservation or stewardship of our waterways. Very important thing here in the Bitterroot. Yep. Hugely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Top, top of mind of a lot of people, I think. Yep. Um, all right. So the water partnership, what, what do they do? What's, <laughs> what, what's Tell the, you about it? Yeah. yeah. What's the mission? Yep. So the Bitterroot Water Partnership, uh, as you mentioned, formerly the Bitterroot Water Forum has been around for 30 years now, uh, working as a conservation organization. Our roots were very much a forum, um, people coming together who cared about this place, who wanted to learn more about our waterways and learn more about how um, they could work together to protect them. And since then has evolved into a very active conservation organization that uh, produces extremely meaningful outcomes on the ground when it comes to protecting our waterways. So uh, our mission is to work for uh, clean and abundant waters in our valley for people and for healthy habitats. And we do that by working with partners, of course, as Mm -hmm. the name gives away, and also with different types of communities, uh, different people that have other reasons to care about our waters. Maybe they're wildlife enthusiasts or agricultural producers or somebody who lives on 3rd Street in Hamilton and just loves this place and wants to take care of it. Uh, So we do that through two kind of main arms. Um, We have on-the-ground restoration projects, which we can get into later. Um, Those those, uh, stream restoration projects produce immediate and also lasting effects that improve the quality of our waters and Mm -hmm. the quantity and how we store water as well. And then, as I mentioned, we have that conservation engagement arm or a community engagement arm of uh, helping people learn about our waterways, um, reflect on the importance of our waterways, and ultimately take action to be a part of this shared collective uh, effort, movement to protect them, keep them clean, keep our habitats healthy, make sure we have enough water for all the things that we all love to do here in the Bitterroot. Yes. And so that that involves, I see there's a... there's a page on your website that describes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the kind of projects that you're you're mm-hmm. doing. That's that is um, what would it be like restoration of embankments yep. and, and that sort of thing along the river and other estuaries. Yep. We um, don't typically do work along the main stem of the river just because that is a mighty river. Right. Uh, and uh, yep, has a mind and a heart of its own. So we where we mainly focus our restoration efforts are <clears throat> along. Um, there's hundreds, dozens of other. Uh, streams and tributaries that flow into the river, which means they ultimately impact the health of the of the river mm-hmm. as well. So we, um, yep, we work on other streams and tributaries. Okay, and what do those projects look like? Yep, so uh, they they totally vary uh, depending on the the local needs. So some of those projects are going to reconnect waterways or restore fish passage. Uh, some are replanting or restoring streamside habitat so the plants near the waterways and i can i can explain why that's helpful uh others are helping landowners meet their 
land management priorities in a way that protects the stream, maybe like a guided cattle access to make sure that cattle only cross at a certain concentrated area of the stream rather than having full access to tramp and trod wherever they okay, please. Yeah. Um, and then another another category that we do is um, returning road rehabitat, so return, returning unused forest service roads to uh, back to healthy habitat. And okay. um, so that, that all to say that the restoration projects really range in in um, in approach. But yeah, there's two that are common for us, which are those streamside restoration projects uh, and the road rehabitat. And I'd be happy to give more detail on yeah, either one of those. Which please. one sounds most most interesting to you? Let's <laughs> well, let's start with the the streamside. Yep. Uh, so in the Bitterroot, we have over thirty sections of stream that are technically classified as impaired or degraded okay. by the Department of Environmental Quality. And again, remember, all those streams are eventually ending up somehow dumping their water into the Bitterroot River. And so, if those streams are impaired. So is the Bitterroot River. And there are sections of the river that are technically uh, classified as degraded. Uh, so some of the, the types of degradation that, degradation that those streams face are uh, warming temperatures. So they're just getting too warm. So we know, um, do you like to fish, Ryan? I, I'm not an avid fisherman, uh -huh. but I do appreciate the sport. And a lot of my friends yep. are big into it. Yep, we all know someone who likes to yeah. fish, right? And they will tell you that our trout, and especially the West Slope cutthroat trout, re need really cool waters mm -hmm. to thrive. So yeah. that's a big threat in our valley. The, the streams are just getting warmer. Um, some of them are affected by sediment uh, pollution. So just like fine debris that erodes from land and it uh, uh, clouds waters and uh, suffocates streams, suffocates fish breeding habitat. That fine debris like kind of settles in. Right. Um, just bad for aquatic uh, insect, fish habitat in general. Uh, a third threat that our streams face is lack of streamside habitat, which contributes to both of those previous areas. So okay. when you don't have enough vegetation around the stream side, as there should be, as, as we naturally have here, one, you don't have shade over the stream to okay. keep it cool. Yep. You also don't have those roots that help hold the ground together on the side of the stream. So you get more sediment pollution and more temperature pollution. Uh, and then, of course, as I mentioned earlier, we have some uh, fish habitat that's just disconnected for the stream. They're no longer able to um, pass or move through their habitat as they used to okay. in the past. Um, and then a final threat is just that this valley is changing rapidly, as we all know, right? It's one yes. of the fastest growing in Montana. So we have changing use and changing demand for our waters, which changes the whole system and how we treat it. Um, but when we do our streamside restoration projects, our goal is to restore those plants back to the side of the stream so that um, there are more roots in the ground to hold the stream bank together so we have less sediment pollution uh, and also to shade the stream so that we have uh, reduction in the warming of the waters, which is better. Both of those things are just better for the uh, fish habitat inside of the stream. Gotcha. Okay. And animals that use the the habitat on the side of the stream as well birds mammals things like that that also rely on healthy streamside habitat what what's one of the major causes of of the lack of shade is that just from normal degradation of the the stream where things are falling into it and becoming less shaded or is there yeah i think you'll definitely see some of it is just like natural change in um 
vegetation around the stream. Okay. I think it can come from a few areas. Um, we might see that a huge fire passes through an area and just raises the whole uh, area around the stream sometimes. Right. So yep. You can lose a lot of vegetation in that way. Uh, some of the historical, more historical land practices, uh, we've come a long way. We've learned a lot in mm -hmm. the last 100, 150 years about properly managing our waterways. Uh, in the past, maybe there was more of just like removal of that vegetation, or maybe we, we weren't as conscientious about how we let uh, livestock move across that landscape. Okay. So you'd have more um, livestock, like we talked about, maybe trampling that vegetation or grazing in it. And over time, we, we lost some of that. And then a third area, uh, and this is something we, we try to reduce still today, is those streams are really beautiful and people move here and they want to see the stream. Yep. And so they yep. cut down the vegetation so that they can see the beautiful stream, but just, you know, it, it looks beautiful, but ultimately you're, when people do that, it affects the long-term beauty of the stream yes. because it degrades the habitat and the quality of the waters. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, I had a feeling that there was <laughs> maybe a little bit of that. There's been a lot of people that moved to this valley recently, and I can I can imagine that might have upped your workload a little bit. Yep, it def it it uh, yep, the more people that settle in this area, it changes the social landscape. Um, different types of people and mm -hmm. values and interests moving here. It changes the ecological landscape, maybe a more fragmented habitat. Again, those different uses as um, some of our agricultural land transitions to maybe a residential yep. land. Yep. Totally changes the uh, water system and how we store water underground and how we use water. Um, but also, it comes with a ton of opportunities. Because, I mean, we have so many people that are so excited to yes. live here. They, they chose to be here. And for the most part, most of those people come here because they value a lot of the same things that, that we value. Right. Uh, healthy wildlife habitat. They like to see wildlife. They enjoy birds. They like to go out on the river. They want to see it clean. And so while it, while it creates more challenges, it also creates more opportunities to partner with people who care deeply and want to make a, a meaningful impact. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, it's kind of like a, either, I'm not sure if it's Catch-22 or or like a double-edged sword, right? With yep. all the, the influx of new people, which um, I I kind of ride that line. I'm not, I grew up here. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've, I know what this place was like, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years ago, but I also haven't, I didn't live here for maybe 10, 15 years. Gotcha. And so I moved back uh, just about two years ago, three years ago now. And that was kind of one of the things that really I had that feeling of, okay, maybe now's the time. Because yeah. I, would, I would come back and visit. Uh -huh. And it'd be like, uh, I mean, it's beautiful, but just not yet. But since, since the influx of people after COVID mm -hmm. or during COVID, um, it's yes, it's added a lot of traffic and a lot of, a lot of negatives, but there's also, I feel a lot more energy yes. in the place too, because we have all these new people that yep. are bringing new ideas and it's this kind of, yeah, like this double-edged sword of like, it's really nice to start having new thinkers and new influence come yep. into the area. And, but it also comes with that added responsibility of yes, we're, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. There's a little more detriment to the environment, but if we can manage that properly, I think we can, we yeah, can come out ahead. Right? Not all development is bad development. But no. unplanned development, that's, that's a different story, that's, right? Yeah, that's and the so big one. And so it's like, um, 
yeah, like you're saying, being strategic about um, how we work together to make sure that the things that we love continue to exist in the way, the best way that they can. So do you also work with um, like aquifer management? Uh, not necessarily, not directly, but some of the projects that we uh, do, some of the restoration projects that we do, uh, benefit the ability of our landscape to store water, okay. to keep water in the bitterroot for the bitterroot. Um, so, for example, some of those stream restoration projects, um, by restoring the vegetation, those roots can help um, pull the water back down into the ground so to store it in the ground so it doesn't just wash off into Missoula. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the road rehabitat work that we do, which is basically taking a s- miles of Forest Service road okay. that is the no longer used way up in the mountains, like past where most people are going to see or notice it, but uh, dirt gravel roads that are unused, Uh, left in a degraded state and what happens is uh, when it rains or snows the water just washes off of those roads runs off the road in the process it picks up sediment which ultimately dumps into streams and pollutes streams Um, but also it's a like a basically a smooth surface on the mountain and so instead of the water being drawn down through plants or roots just washed off the road so when we convert those roads back to uh, plant habitat that also helps draw water back down into the water table to store it. Okay. Um, so there's some indirect benefits there, but we're d- we, um, yep, that's the extent. All right. Uh, so you talked about the, the classification of certain streams being classified as uh, degraded, or mm-hmm. what? Where does that classification classification come from? Who, who yep. does that? That comes from the Department of Environmental Quality, Montana Department of Environmental Quality. Okay. So they do some pretty substantial monitoring and uh, collecting of data to make those determinations. And we also, a lot of those impacts uh, we can see or feel or notice just from folks who have lived here right. for a long time. Uh, you know, people who live along Rye Creek can tell you what's wrong with it. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Guides and outfitters who are on the river most days of the summer, they can tell you which areas need help. Um, irrigators can tell you that the water availability is maybe changing a little bit or the reliability of mm-hmm. things. At least. So um, a lot of that comes from a community understanding as well. Okay. And that's part of your job is getting the community engagement, yeah? Yeah, that is definitely um, part of my job, uh, um, listening to community members okay. and um, hearing feedback, um, making those connections like I said with people who care and want to be involved with this um, with stewardship of this place and a lot of my job um, is about meeting those people kind of halfway and creating opportunity sometimes you can have all the best intentions of the world you want to make a difference you want to do something and you're like well where the heck do I start how yeah and so we rely on conservation professionals to create those pathways for us or at least I I think that we do um gather people in a certain direction and say this is something we can do to make a difference and so those are the opportunities that I work to create for people who okay. want to be involved in conservation and change um, so some examples and I did not create all of these but um, I maintain them some examples we host a annual river cleanup every summer we have nearly 100 people come out each year and clean the length of the river awesome. which is a huge effort we're pulling thousands of pounds of trash out of that uh, system every year wow um, we have those uh, cleanup stations. They're stewardship stations at most 
like river access sites, fishing access mm-hmm. sites, pu- pu- public Yeah, I've seen parks. those with the little bags. Yep, yep, the stands with the red bags. So that's just like, you're here, welcome, you're recreating, that's awesome. Take a bag, keep a handle on your trash, keep it out of the river. Or you want to go on a walk, pick up some litter on your way. Let's keep this place clean. Um, so those are a couple of examples. We also have a uh, waterwise landscaping program. So one of the threats that we talked about was changing use and demand in water, realizing that it is increasingly important that we conserve water and we keep water here in this valley for our uses. Mm -hmm. And so one of our programs helps uh, residents transition their maybe traditional lawn, which requires a lot of extra input, a lot of fertilizers and water, a lot of water. Um, and quite frankly, in my opinion, doesn't really give much back, right? It's just like this green cement. This this may be a contentious point for many of those in the real estate industry, but I am the biggest believer that the well-manicured yeah. green, you know, typical American lawn that you see in front of a home is the biggest con yeah. that, that anybody has ever succumbed yes. to, right? It's... You spend you spend so much money and time so and time. energy to maintain this thing that you may not even you don't even really use. It's just you look at it. Like I don't I don't see anybody out there like laying on their lawn, nope. you know, like petting their grass nope. and going, Oh, I'm so glad I did that. No. Certainly got, not their front lawn, right? Yeah, no, certainly not the front lawn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just hear the mo- the the most often thing I hear about anybody's lawn is the complaint of having to oh, I gotta mow the lawn, I gotta water the lawn, I gotta fertilize. It's like Yep. There, there is a much better use for that space. You know, we can garden. We can. Yep. We can also change. I'm sure there's, uh, like, what kind of recommendations do you guys yeah. have for for utilizing that space in a more positive and beneficial way? Yep. Well, I'm I'm glad to hear that we're on the same page. There. It's like, it's, yeah. It's a huge. It's a huge. It's a huge loss, really, for us as a society across yeah, the nation to be kind of um, sucked into this idea of lawns. Um, and there is uh, this national phenomenon at the moment of people are realizing what you just explained. Oh, my gosh, that's not the best use of my time, energy, or money. No. And it's not really beneficial to the environment or my community. And so we're seeing a, a basically a movement of people moving away to that. And that's something that the Water Partnership helps lead locally for our community is transitioning from those resource-heavy uh, lawns or other things and towards a native uh, plant landscaping or water-wise landscaping mm-hmm. so using native plants that are from this area specifically or, or western montana or um, the western united states plants that can thrive in these local natural conditions so they don't need all those extra inputs they don't need as much extra water or extra fertilizers yeah. uh and they're much more beautiful than the lawn and they attract butterflies and birds and like you can actually have this beautiful thriving place right in your front yard and be benefiting your local nature and your local community and so um, we provide workshops we provide waterwise plant packs or native plant packs to help like kind of like a starter pack for people Ooh, to get in, them started yeah so this is um this is kind of an example of like pathways like how do we make it easier for people who want to to act to act yeah and so we've partnered with great bear native plants uh to make these water wise plant packs so they're basically uh they they're packs a curated selection of native plants and they come for different conditions you can get uh, they come in small and large sizes 
uh, with different numbers of plants, different species that have been hand-selected by experts at Great Bear Native Plants for specific conditions. So you can say, I, my front lawn is totally exposed to sun. Well, you get the pack for sun. Or maybe you have a shady area. You get the pack for shady things. Maybe you specifically want to attract butterflies. You can get a pack that's designed to attract certain butterflies. Awesome. And in each pack, there's basically a lot of the hard work of starting on a native plant habitat or landscape has been taken out of the mixture so you don't have to research what plants to buy um, you don't have to worry about bloom times uh, or different heights or different colors all things you'd want to consider before you get into your garden all of that hard research and decisions those have been made for you awesome already and so it just gets handed over and it's just yeah like a starter pack ready to go uh, every plant every plot makes a difference so whether it's a s small plant pack a big one or your whole one acre landscape um, makes a big difference. Nice, yeah. I mean, I yeah, I firmly believe that I, the 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 natural the things that naturally grow here are far more beautiful than yeah. than the Kentucky bluegrass that yep. someone spends ungodly amounts of time yep. manicuring in their front lawn, and that yeah, and it creates this kind of it. It doesn't look like a barren wasteland, but mm -hmm. it more or less is because there's no there's nothing really living out there because mm -hmm. you're constantly manipulating it right either with mowing or yep. fertilizers or or you know watering it to the extent that you do yep. and it just is a it's a really it's a decimation of life even though it looks green and pretty right totally totally pretty, devoid quote unquote, yep. pretty. yeah and that's part of the beauty of the native um or waterways landscaping as well. It's just the life that it welcomes into your yard yeah. and into this place at large. Like we're an agricultural community. We're surrounded by producers. We love our local producers and our local food here. That local food needs pollinators and healthy mm -hmm. pollinator populations mm -hmm. to be able to continue to produce. So it's a really, I think I'm biased, but phenomenal way for anyone who owns or has, um, a power in any sort of small landscape to be it is a huge opportunity to be directly involved in local stewardship in a ton of ways you're reducing chemical use you're reducing your water use um you're supporting local wildlife you're supporting local producers mm -hmm. like so many boxes are checked there and so it's just a and you're freeing up your own time yes and energy yeah because you don't have to constantly yeah manage and manicure the the landscape it does it more or less by itself yeah i'm sure you can go out there and like trim stuff and, and yep. whatnot but yeah some some work is definitely involved i think especially in the first couple of years when that garden's getting set up but uh yeah the the time spent is different and if anything i would say it's a, at minimum it, the time you spend there is at least going to be more enjoyable you're not just pushing a machine around yeah the yard you're you're out there getting your hands dirty and there's science to say research to say that when you touch soil your body reacts in like you actually feel happier. And so the more you can get your hands into the land and work it, be I good I knew there was a reason that I like <laughs> to eat dirt when I was a kid. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep on doing it. Yeah. That might but, be a little far, but. Ah, well, yeah. It was the 90s. What are you going to do? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't think of how many pictures there are of me, just like handfuls of. Yeah. Handfuls maybe of you have a strong immune system now, too. Hey, I think so, huh? <laughs> Must be. There's benefits to it, I think. Um, yeah, that's. That's awesome. That's that's one thing that I, I want to see uh, more people adopt. Mm -hmm. And it, it just, because it, it breaks my heart, really, mm -hmm. when I drive around in the summertime and I see all of these sprinklers going sprinklers. all day long and it's just 
for what? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, so you can just so you can stare out your window at nothing, and you're probably not even mm-hmm. looking at it that closely anyway. But mm-hmm. if you had, if you have a more diverse landscape out your front yard, you're yeah. going to also attract a more diverse uh, section of wildlife to yeah. come through, and that'll give you something to look at, and give you a deeper connection with your local environment rather than creating this alien landscape that that nothing here other than i mean i guess it's only the white-tailed deer that would really enjoy Mm -hmm. that sort of thing snacks yeah and that's about it right and and that's a problem in and of itself is that you know this this area never had such a uh concentration of whitetail Mm -hmm. until we started developing it agriculturally for hay and now there's all these people that have non-native mm-hmm. uh species of plants that are growing that the whitetail love to eat yeah and so they've they've come in here but that was never the case it was more of a mule deer ah, yeah. uh, environment because they're you know we this isn't a landscape for grazers this is a landscape for browsers mm-hmm. in in the natural sense of things right yeah like you don't everything that we do affects the affects our landscape which affects us yes so, yep we're in a big cycle here yeah so all those people out there that complain about all the white-tailed deer coming in and eating their <laughs> gardens and eating you know being on their lawn and all this there is an easy way to fix that yep yeah incorporate oh. <laughs> incorporate more native plants and or reframe it there's so many um like people that come to visit have you seen people like stop the car to take a picture of the oh. deer oh <laughs> i don't know time. maybe it's like that's really cool that i like live in a place where i have um uh, megafauna in my backyard i know oh, d- most oh, people are gonna agree- disagree with no me, don't but. don't get me wrong <laughs> i um so i lived in europe for a long time uh-huh. and in in germany it's the same size as montana but with 84 million people Jeez. so take montana and increases population 84 times uh-huh. and that's the density we're talking about they also have a smaller species of deer there mm-hmm. um no no whitetail but you, it's not. It's definitely something you don't see as often. It's very rare to see large mm-hmm. animals like that. Mm-hmm. And so when I came back here the first summer, and I'd been gone for two and a half years, at that point I had I had the opportunity to come home for for a length of time. And I remember I was taking a walk around my neighborhood. Yeah. And I was like, and like walking by this field, and I was like, so excited to see. To see deer. It's it kind of special. I mean, they're whitetail. I know yeah. they're all over the place, but it was just like, oh my gosh, yeah. that's right. Uh-huh. That is one of the very beautiful and special things about living here yep. is we have this opportunity to to really live side by side with yep. the natural environment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's Not so many people are as lucky as we are here. Absolutely not. And that's why the, the mandate, or like you said earlier, the responsibility to come together to take care of it is huge. Yes. Because this place is incredibly special. And if we're not intentional about our efforts to protect all the parts of it that we love, then yeah, we're going to lose it. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be like the places that a lot of those people came from. Yep. Exactly. That they're trying to get away from. Yeah. You know, and why people are here and why it's such a beautiful place to live. Yep. And yes, there is a there's an immense responsibility that I think we all need to need to take on Mm -hmm. to keep that because I you know, I, my business is based on people buying and selling real estate. So mm-hmm. it does benefit me personally with people moving here or new homes being constructed. Right. right. Fair. But I also want to do it in a responsible manner and make sure that the environment that we're living in is not becoming unrecognizable. Over, yeah, unrecognizable mm-hmm. and, 
and uh, a, a wasteland for the natural species that mm-hmm. inhabit mm-hmm. the environment here. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. So, I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it, I don't think it's something that's recognized enough. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I, it's not. It's not at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. Mm-hmm. I think from, and that's that's not to say that people don't consider it, but you know, it's just not something that a lot of people really. Yeah, as humans, we really struggle to. Uh, our brains aren't designed to predict or look that far into the future. Mm-hmm. We're very much like a here and now, like planning for the next couple of years, maybe but we are not designed to look very far into the future. And so when we're tasked with solving problems that extend decades into the future, it can be hard to get people to come to the table. It's just like, it's not a, it's not a natural state for the human brain. Yeah. It's not going to affect me in my lifetime. So what's the big deal? Yeah. But, Um, but it probably will. Like things are changing rapidly here. That's true. Like you said, this place is not like, it's, it's very similar. I mean, there's the, the heart of it is still here, but in the 20, you grew up here and, and you said um, you're back now and yep. you were gone for what, 10, 15, 10, 10 12 years, somewhere 10, around 12 there, yeah. years. And it changed significantly while oh, you yeah. were gone. Right. So, I mean, in, especially between 2019 and 2021, when I, that, that gap mm-hmm. was the, the mm-hmm. biggest one. Big surge, I mean, when yep. I grew up here, there was one, two, three stoplights in town. Mm-hmm. Maybe two. I think they just installed the one at fairgrounds. Mm-hmm. And now there's five. Mm-hmm. And I remember driving through town uh, the first summer I was back and stopping at that fairgrounds traffic light, going, it turns green, I go and I stop again, and I'm still at the same traffic light. Oh. And it blew my mind because it had <laughs> never, ever happened uh-huh. here. Uh-huh. It's like, where am I? What is going on? Yep. But, you know, and it's... It's um, it's just the natural course of things, right? Mm-hmm. We we have the freedom uh, in this country to choose where we want to live, so we can move wherever we want, and that's a beautiful thing. You know, yep. I'm happy to have to have more people come here. Like I said, to bring fresh ideas and yep. and new things. You know, especially I used to work in the food industry, and so not, it's it's wonderful to see all of the new restaurants popping up, all of these yep. people taking on these interesting projects involving food, and then. Um, also, the, the projects surrounding um, agriculture as well, you know, the small farms that are coming along and, and providing the food in mm-hmm, the area and that mm-hmm, sort of thing. And mm-hmm. this is, you know, it's a wonderful thing. Yep, it is. Yep, and it's coming. The people are coming. Yes, you can't and stop them. We can't, yep. we can't tell you, I mean. Yep, so how do we work with them to keep what's important to us? Um, yep, communities across the nation, but especially across the West, are experiencing similar things. And so it's just... It's the nature of things right now. Yeah. And I mean, change is inevitable. Yep. And resisting it is not going to to prevent change from happening. No. You're just going to make it harder to adapt in the yeah, future. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I think we solved everything. The boom. Think, All right, done. Okay, that's the answer. <laughs> Work together. Yeah. <laughs> if only it were so easy, right? Jeez. <laughs> yep. I mean, I get it too. You know, people, people don't want to see this place become overly populated yeah, and that's can't blame them. i don't either i mean you know but there's i think there's ways that we can manage that i mean i can go on hours Absolutely. about uh mm-hmm. about the roadways here and how things should be done but that's yeah. that's a whole nother topic <laughs> conversation <laughs> that's another expert i'm a i'm a water habitat person so okay well <laughs> speaking of water and habitat okay so the the partnership how you work you work with 
you work with the community, they'll come and tell you, like, hey, there's maybe some issues with this stream. Uh, you said, that, like, the fishermen will kind of report yep. and, and that sort of we thing. We do always have, like, the occasional drop-in. Somebody comes in the office and they want to share something. But uh, most of our community insights come from existing relationships. So uh, relationships that we have with private landowners. Uh, maybe maybe we've done a, a, a restoration project uh, with a private landowner, stream, stream restoration, and they say, hey, my neighbor would really be interested in improving their stream as well. Um, and kind of get referred along that way. Um, you know, we work, uh, we partner with some, a lot of local guides. Maybe they come in and they say, I have an idea for a new program. Um, so a lot of our, we're just plugged into these different community groups um, because we have uh, shared care or shared values in different ways. And so um, that's kind of where the community insights maybe organically come uh, into the water partnership. Right, okay. And where do you get your funding? We... Good question. Uh, we get our funding from grants. Some of those are um, federal grants, state grants, uh, and then we also get a lot, of, a significant amount of funding from foundations, uh, private foundations who are donating funds to us for certain pro programs or projects. Uh, and then we get a substantial amount of our funding from community donations as well. So people who uh, believe in the importance of our mission and want to be a partner in it, want to be a part of it, and they donate to us. Those may be individuals or oftentimes businesses also will sponsor our work. Okay. Mm -hmm. Right on. And so do you guys do like fundraisers or? Yeah, we have, um, we have some fundraisers. Um, I will say we always accept donations at any time. If you go to bitterrootwater.org slash donate, um, you can donate $10, 10000 Um, It all adds up. It all makes a difference. And then we have um, some fundraisers. So, for example, there's a fundraiser around our annual screening of the International Fly Fishing Film Festival, oh. which is coming up this March. We do some fundraising around that. We have... Uh, cash for Cutthroats program where one day of the year uh, guides on the Bitterroot donate their day's tip to the water partnership to advance our, our efforts. And then we have a, and there's some other um, smaller events sprinkled in the year, but we have a large annual like Montana style gala fundraiser uh, in the fall called Evening for the River where our partners, uh, volunteers, friends, donors come together to celebrate, um, connect with each other, and also raise some money for awesome. more work to be done. Mm -hmm. Right on. And do you collaborate with other organizations around here too, like Forest Service or yes. Fish and Wildlife? Yep. Uh, and you named right there two of our uh, most prominent partners. Okay. So we, we, yes, a lot of our work relies on partnerships, whether that's with uh, landowners. Fish, Wildlife, and Parks is a big one. Uh, Trout Unlimited sometimes, right. um, or Valley County Fish and Wildlife. Uh, uh, the Forest Service is a huge partner for us. I mean, the valley is surrounded by Forest Service land. Yeah. What's happening up on the mountains has a huge effect uh, on the streams and the river and the landscape down in the valley. And so we do a lot of our restoration work uh, up on Forest Service lands because the impacts come downstream and they affect us here in the valley. Right. Yeah, speaking of mountains, what do you make of this weather this year? This is, yeah, it's getting a little, I'm a little nervous, honestly. Yep, uh, I don't think you're alone. Uh, I think 
we are all a bit wide-eyed as we're watching what's happening with the snowpack yeah um for us and for the state of montana and quite well really for the west um at this point so it is an el nino year year so we know that um, those years typically are drier with less precipitation but um yeah i i who knows you know you could put some numbers together of what yeah. if we have such a low snowpack what the summer season might look like but um like i mentioned earlier we have a hard time looking into the future yeah. as humans yeah. and so i'm hopeful that if anything uh yeah we may have a rough summer season but i think it'll be a moment of a moment that helps us reflect on yeah, what, that's true. what this place could look like if we don't have enough water yeah. and the importance then of ensuring that we manage our land and our water in a way that ensures we have enough. So I'm hoping it'll be, um, it'll, it's going to most likely be a rough summer for a lot of reasons, but it'll uh, remind us the importance of reflecting on yeah. working together in water conservation. Yeah. It's wild looking at those mountains in the morning. I've, I live up on, on Bonanza land. And so I have a nice little view mm-hmm. of, of the valley looking yep. north. And it's just, I don't, it, every morning I wake up and it's like, I feel like it's March already or, you know, it's just. How does this year compare to, you grew up here mm-hmm. um, and I've asked a couple other people, you know, how does this, we have these years, we have drier years. Yes. How does this year compare to your memory of past dry years? This one, yeah, I mean, there's definitely been years where, where we've been worried about snowpack more, but there's there's just something different about this year that mm-hmm. is a little more visceral because you, I'm looking and you don't see that that normal like bathtub ring mm-hmm. that you see, mm-hmm. you know, around the valley where you where you can look both east and west and see that there's like this clear line of here's where the snow starts and and yep. then from there on up it's you know you're you're confident that there's a bunch of snow in the mountains, but you know, I'm looking at Ward Mountain and Downey Mountain. I can still see, I can still see brown, like the majority of the way up the mountain in certain spots. It's just, yeah, it, it feels, and not to mention the temperature the last two weeks, you know, since we had that cold snap and it warmed back up, it's like that, that week where it was like 40, 50 degrees, it was just like, pretty strange. Oh yeah. It's, you know, it felt weird. I was just completely thrown off because I felt like, oh, we went through winter and now, you know, mm-hmm. we're coming out and it's March, April kind of weather right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, it was bright, clear skies. Sun was shining. It was nice and warm. I was like, I don't feel like we earned this yet. You know, <laughs> like what is it's going on? It's a bit disorienting. Yeah, yeah. it was, it, it threw me for a loop. I was, yep. I was exhausted that week. Mm. You know, I was, I was happy to see the sun, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it was just like, what? I don't, my body didn't know what to do almost. And uh, yesterday, was it yesterday? I think yesterday, the day before it kind of, I woke up and it kind of felt like winter, Mm -hmm. you know, there's a nice clouds around the mountains and it Mm -hmm. looked like, and it was snowing a little bit and then it's, it's gone again already. I mean, the little bit of snow that came down has creeped, creeped back up the mountain again. And it's just, yeah, it's a little, it, it, it does make me a little nervous. Yeah, so um, I'm, I, what I'm hearing is we need to have another conversation about water conservation in August, maybe once we've seen the results of our yeah, snowpack. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> How we fared through the, the summer irrigation yeah, season. Yeah, absolutely. And river season. Yeah, yeah I, <laughs> I'm i a little nervous for the, the guides this year. Mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, there's going to be, I feel like there's going to be hoot owl restrictions 
in June, mm -hmm. just by the way things are, mm -hmm. you know, and I mean, I don't fish myself that often. I'll go, I'll, I'll go, uh, do fishing in, in the creeks mm -hmm. up in the canyons, but I don't really, I'm, I'm not one to like go sit in a boat all day right. and, and cast a line, but I know a lot of my colleagues are and, and a bunch of my friends are really into it and yep. and businesses and, and, uh, a huge portion of our entire County economy is yes. reliant on a thriving, mm -hmm. uh, fishing industry, agriculture and the fishing recreation economy are the two leading contributors, uh, in this Valley, bringing in millions of dollars for our local economy. And so it's one of those things where, might not affect you directly, but someone that you know is going to be uh, affected in a negative way if the if if we can't maintain healthy fisheries. We do have blue ribbon fisheries. You know, we have a great fisheries here. Oh people, yeah, it's incredible. I mean, duh. That's why people want to come and enjoy them. Um, but yep, uh, when we have low flows or um, polluted waterways, it does affect people who are related to the fishing and recreation economy yeah i think that's a message that we could get out a little more is that it's not just about i mean yes the the preservation and conservation of, of waterways in the bitter valley is important for the natural aspect of things mm -hmm. but it also is a huge effect on our local economy as a whole mm -hmm. i mean that's yeah and, the, and in that in our culture and in, in the yeah. things that we like to do um yeah, we get people from all over the world coming mm -hmm. here mm -hmm. every summer to experience that river and to pull a couple fish out of it and yeah. have a grand old time doing it. It's usually one of the top 10, if not top five, most fished stretches of river in the state. So it's a very popular place. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And me personally, I love swimming in that river too. Yeah. In the summertime, it's the best. Yeah, you don't want it polluted with sediment. You don't want cloudy waters. You want clear waters. Yeah, I want it sparkle. clear and cool. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, go down to the river on a 100-degree day and yep. get into a, a bathtub, basically, mm -hmm. you know, 80-degree mm -hmm. water or something mm -hmm. like that. It's just with algae growing. Yep, nobody yeah. wants that. Yeah, no thanks. We don't want that here. It's happened to other rivers in our state. We don't want yeah. that. And so, yep, that's why our what while a lot of our work uh, – reverses or reduces pollution or negative impacts that have already happened on mm -hmm. the landscape or in our waterways, a, a significant portion of the work is also proactive and just like, how can we take care of habitat and people and waterways today so that they don't pass this point into a, a negative territory? So a, a lot of our work is just about um, protecting and maintaining what we already have and we don't want it to cross over into a more negative state. Is there, is there like a point of no return? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I po couldn't point it into I love it. Just, I, yes, I couldn't is. tell you exactly uh, what it is. You know, I don't have that information, but every, every ecological system, you know, their systems, they maintain themselves in yeah. a certain way. They're used to, um, they react to annual flows, annual changes, like systems operate in a cycle. And every system, for the most part, has a tipping point where um, enough change happens that it flips it into a different cycle. And it'll start running through that cycle. And that's after you've gone over the tipping point. And it can be extremely hard to come back from that because you're, now you're it's operating as a totally different system. Right, yeah. Um, and so it depends on like what category you're asking about like is there a tipping point for warm waters is or is there a tipping point where west slope cutthroat can no longer survive is there a 
tipping, you know, it depends on what you're asking, but every system, every ecological system is, um, has the potential to um, be so degraded or, or changed so drastically that it does tip over and start acting as a different system. And once that happens, it's extremely difficult to get it back to the way that it used to be because it's an ecological system. It's nature. It's like runs on its own course and we only know so much and we only have so much capacity to change things. Yeah. We're not close to that. I don't want to scare you. I don't want no, to scare, scare anyone. Us. Scare, um, scare people a little bit. Um, but yeah, that... <laughs> those tipping points do exist, and that's why uh, proactive conservation, restoration, and stewardship is important to keep uh, systems functioning yeah. in a stable, healthy way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's no better time to start thinking about it than right now, mm-hmm. as well. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's something that should be at the forefront of of anybody's mind that that lives in this valley. I think. Yep. Because it, it's going to affect us all. Yeah, absolutely. And and I, I think that it is. We have more and more people uh, subscribing to our newsletter or popping in our office or coming to our events or volunteering with us on a restoration project every every year. So I think um, we've got more and more people on the boat who are ready to do something important. Oh, that leads to my next question. Yes. Mm-hmm. How do you recruit people to, to help with these projects? To, yep. That's a good question. Uh, so I would recommend that people go to our website, bitterrootwater.org slash subscribe uh, to subscribe to our newsletter. And that's the first place. It's an email newsletter. It goes out once or twice a month. And that's the first place where we uh, advertise things like volunteer opportunities, events, uh, information, updates that people might want to know as they relate to water and habitat. So that's just a great way to stay in touch. You can also follow us on Instagram at Bitterroot Water. Uh, and we have an office on 2nd Street in downtown Hamilton um, with the open door, uh, couch in the front, coffee, come by anytime. Wonderful. Um, talk to us, get to know us. We'd love to get to know you and um, tell us what you love most about, about our waters here. Right on. Yeah. All right. Um well, I think that kind of wraps it up for now. We'll yeah. uh, we'll put a we'll put a pin in the water, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> the water watching for the time being, yeah. and yeah, I th- I, that's I like that idea. I'll have you come back at the end <laughs> of summer, and we'll we'll discuss see what see what happens, see how it all you went never know. down. We could come out of it just fine. You never yeah, who know. knows? I was looking at the weather today. <laughs> There's a big old storm coming off mm-hmm. the the uh, Pacific right now. Mm. That's about yeah. to hit Seattle, and hopefully that continues across yep. across the desert and gives us a little bit of hope yeah we'll see a couple I, yeah. inches at least um, i definitely have hope and i and i um what makes me have more hope is um people like you who are who are uh invested in having these conversations and supporting these causes so i appreciate that and thanks for inviting the water partnership and myself to, yeah, thank to you for chat being today here. this has been super and i i appreciated learning from you and your experience here in the valley as well well i appreciate that people like you are out there doing the good work and <laughs> and keeping an eye on on the important things that are yeah they're happening around Thanks. here and love to do it trying to keep this place the the beautiful amazing <laughs> gorgeous yep. natural place that it is and mm-hmm. hopefully we can keep that and we can and also keep people wanting to come here and mm-hmm. and all of that. So mm-hmm. right on, Alex. Well, I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. And uh, yeah, we'll talk again Next soon. Time. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, <laughs> thanks. Bye, everybody.